Well, this morning we're going to be in the book of the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. You could actually read this entire chapter, and I, I would do that except for I'd lose you. And uh, you know the story. Uh, if you don't, what I want you to hear are the first seven verses. I only added the eighth and the ninth because they add a little bit of color. But um, it's a story that's very familiar. So with that in mind, I'd ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, if you're willing and if you're able. And it reads like this in John 9, verses 1 to 9. As Jesus passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground. He made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Isn't this the man that used to sit and beg? Some said, It is him. Others said, No, he just looks like him. But he kept saying, I am that man. I am that man. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading of the word this morning and the message this hour. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, If I had to title this morning's message, it would be, All I Wanted Was a Haircut. And I'm really going to confuse you. You know, usually most Sundays I start out with a story. And I was thinking about this this week in preparing this message. You probably go home and say, why did he tell us that story? Because uh, I don't always tie it together. I tell it to you, and I know in my brain what it's there for. But then I don't always explain to you, and I just get to preaching and go at it, and I, I go home and I think, why did you tell them that story and not explain why you told them that story? Today I'm going to mess you up by telling you two of them, and one of them is going to have to do with all I wanted was a haircut. But before we get to that, I'm going to talk about a little grandchild and his grandma but I can't tell you who it was, because I'm supposed to ask permission before I talk about family members. And so I'm not implying that this is a family member, or that either of these people are family members. But I'm going to tell you the story anyhow. Little grandson's sitting in the back seat, and he says to his grandma, his nana, Nana, how old are you? She says, why do you want to know? I just want to know how old you are. Grandma says, well, how old do you think I am? Well, I just want you to put in your mind that Grandma's probably about 57. And uh, how old do you think I am? And the little boy says, 90. <laughs> and when Grandma recovered from the shock, the little boy says, Grandma, have you ever had heart surgery? She said, no. He said, well, then I guess you're not 90. You have to be 90. You get to be 90 after you have heart surgery. She said, okay. 
well, how old are you? And she gave her age, and I'm not going to answer how she answered because, lo and behold, you're not supposed to tell a woman's age, right? Even if you don't explain who that woman would be. Now, why do I tell you that story? When six-year-old grandson says to Nana, you appear to be 90, Nana says, that's a funny story. You know, little, little six-year-old can't do anything wrong, right? In Nana's eyes. But you let husband come up and say to Nana, you know, you're looking your age these days. And you may find yourself living in a tent, homeless somewhere. Because it's an insult, right? Nobody wants to hear that, you know. I look my age. We went back to East Liverpool, and I, 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 we were in there to help Janice's mother do something. We had to go to Walmart to get some things. This isn't the second story, by the way. This is still the same story. And I saw three people that I went to high school with. I nearly didn't recognize them. I'm like, holy cow, I said, Janice, look. I said, that dude went to school with me. I can't remember his name, but man, look how bad he looks. And then I saw this woman, and I said, holy cow, what happened to her? And, you know, and then before we left, there's this other guy. And I said, oh, Janice, man, that must be a life of drugs and crime and everything, because that guy's looking bad. She turned and looked at me and said, have you looked in the mirror lately? <laughs> Insulted. But all I wanted was a haircut. This week, I went and got my hair cut. And I've taken a risk telling this story because it's local, and the story is local, so I'll probably cut a lot of the details out for real on this one. But I picked my barber here in town when I came here because he's the kind of guy I like to be around. You know, when I walk into a room and people find out what I do if they don't know, do you know the atmosphere changes? You know, the language changes. Everything changes when they find out that the Padre is in the house. It just automatically occurs. And my barber will just be himself. And I found that out probably the first time I sat in his chair. Kept me going back. We'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about politics. We'll talk about sports. And he just tells me how it feels, and he'll let it rip, and it doesn't matter to him if he offends me. And he does know what I do, but he doesn't care, and I like that. We went in this week, and I sat down in the chair, and the first thing out of his mouth was, how's your summer been? And I said, oh, it's been, you know, same old, same old. How's yours? And he jumped in. You know, it's been really tough. My best friend. 38 years old, three little boys. Wife came home, whatever happened, found him, took him to the hospital. A few days later, he is gone. Doesn't make sense. Now, I'm going to tell you, he filled in all the blanks for me, and it was colorful, and it was not pleasant, and I never opened my mouth. I want to tell you that I knew right then he was now talking to me knowing what I do. He was now talking to me knowing what I do. And he went through the whole ordeal and he's, he said, you know, I had to take my kids in. It was their godfather and they go in the room and the kids are crying and they're, they've prayed for him. And the dad, we don't understand. We want answers. I prayed so hard and why did God and now all that stuff. He said, but really, really, really what got me was the day that he died. A well-intentioned Christian walked into the room 
and said, well, God's got a plan. And I won't tell you what he told me. But it was not pleasant. And you know, I walked out. I never I, I, I said a few things to him, I guess, before I left, but not much. Years ago, I had the funeral for a five-year-old little girl who died with cancer. We walked with them through the about two years of that. And I was a new pastor. It was the second funeral I would conduct. And I was standing at the casket with mom and dad. We had, we had literally walked through that with them, nearly living at Akron Children's Hospital through that time. Part-time church, had another job, but we were just there. And uh, standing at the casket the day of the funeral, somebody walked up and said, well, you must have done something wrong for this to happen. And I can tell you back then I was stunned, but I can tell you that today you'd probably have to hold my right arm back. I'm sorry to admit that to you, but it just makes me mad. All I wanted was a haircut. God's got a plan. Church, let me tell you something. God does have a plan. But I'm not so sure that a 10-year-old kid wants to hear about God's plan and how he needed dad right now. What if God's plan involves taking mom? And what I think you think I'm going to talk about today, which is what I want to talk about today, is how we need to control our tongues. That's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to go back to the story, and hopefully you'll see before we're done why I took you to the barber shop. As he passed by, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. You know, in that verse, you find the crux of the problem this morning. Blind from birth. If he'd only been born normal like the rest of us, there wouldn't be a story to tell. But he was born blind from birth. I don't need to explain that to you. You know what it means. He couldn't see. And Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Now behind that question, what I want you to see, because you have to see this, is they felt that his present disablement, his blindness, was connected to some previous sin. Who sinned? This man or his parents. When you get to the end of this story, the Pharisees are now involved. And please keep in mind, this was Jesus' disciples that asked the question. These were the ones closest to him. They were Jews, and the thought was there. In their, in their religion, the thought was there that if you had something wrong, it was because something happened back here in the way of sin. When you get to the end of the story, and the Pharisees are involved, and remember, if you, I didn't read it to you, but you remember the story. They're going to everybody in town. Who is this guy? How'd this happen? They go to the man. What happened? This guy rubbed you know, mud in my eyes, and now I can see. They go to his parents. Is this, you know, whatever. And, and when the young man speaks up, because the whole time he's saying, this guy healed me my sight he gave me my blind my he took away my blindness and gave me my sight back they, they ask all the way out the 34th verse the pharisee says they say you were born in utter sin and you're going to teach us hear what they're saying hear what they're saying you're defective the reason you were born blind is because you are a sinner now as 
strange as this probably sounds to most of us today, that's really how they felt. Before you eradicate the thought in this verse from your mind, what I want you to see is that what they're talking about really is a way of dealing with the fairness of God. I have someone in my life that has said to me repeatedly, you know, God's really blessed me. I've got a beautiful home. I've got a motor home, boat, motorcycle, toys. God has really been good to me. And what that really implies, church, is that for those of us that maybe don't have a nice home and don't have all the toys, what's wrong with us? <laughs> there must be some secret sin that got us into this condition because that's really what they're saying in this passage. There's this connection between sin and sickness, sin and blindness. If you go back in Exodus to the 34th verse, this is probably where it comes from. Listen to this verse. God keeps steadfast love for thousands. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. He will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's where this question comes from. Who sinned? This guy? His parents? His grandparents? Did he do something in his mother's womb? In some pre-existent state, which does not exist, we're all created, but perhaps they, they actually ask this, ask this question in the rabbinical writings of the time. Maybe there's a pre-existent state where this man did something wrong. What I want you to see is what Jesus says, because Jesus refuses all of this. It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, you could easily, on the basis of this verse, jump to this conclusion. Because listen to what Jesus said. It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So, aha, we well-intentioned Christians now jump into the notion that, well, he was born blind so God could do something nice for him. And then you got all the questions about what about those that don't get the nice thing done for him and all that stuff, right? That's not, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is acknowledging the fact <laughs> that this man's life is in chaos. He's blind. And all of us, in some way or another, have sin and chaos in our life. We may not tell each other. We may not reveal it as openly. Did you watch? Oh, last night, if you get a chance, I don't know if it's on tonight, NBC, they had the Paralympics on. I want to tell you what, that puts the Olympics to shame. Go watch that. If it's on today, it is worth it. But this guy, he, he, he's blind. What Jesus is saying is, is his blindness makes, it makes his life chaotic. He's, he's got to depend on others. And you and I, we have our chaotic situations. But what Jesus wants us to see is that in the worst of any situation, God can do his best work. And that's what that verse is all about. And then Jesus says this, We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one will be able to work. I, I'm going to read to you later. I won't read it now because, again, I'll lose you. This is a, a little bit of a longer message than you're used to with me. But do you remember how the Gospel of John starts? The Gospel of John starts, you remember, in the beginning was the word, the word was God. And at some point it says, and the light shines into the darkness, 
Remember, John came. He was not that light, but he was a, a precursor to that light. And the light shines in the darkness. Look at this verse. We've got to work the works of him who sent me while it is day, while it's light. You don't see it the way that Jesus would have seen it, but I've got to tell you something. Jesus saw the darkness coming. Jesus saw the Pharisees getting upset with what was going on. He knew that his time was short. And friends, if you and I were to be honest, our time is short. It's really short. We've got to work the works of him who sent me. And it's so important that you see how this verse begins. We... Jesus didn't say, I, he's talking to his disciples. They asked the question, are you his disciple? We're his disciples. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming. We, we must work those works. And then Jesus says, because as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. I'm going to ask you to change one word there. As long as we are in the world. We are the light of the world. Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground. He made mud with the saliva. He anointed the man's eyes with mud. This should, if you were a Jew, it would. But I have to tell you because you're not as versed as they were. This should point you straight back to Genesis 2 and verse 7. Out of the dust of the earth, the Lord God formed us from the ground and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, and we became living creatures. Please don't see the, the clay and the mud that Jesus spits in and puts on this man's eyes as healing. This is God. This is creating. This is making something new. It, it's, and, and I want you to imagine that you are the blind man. Because remember what I said. They thought this guy was a sinner. Nobody wanted to touch him. You might catch that. They understood this man to be someone that you just didn't go around. Imagine never being touched. And then here comes Jesus. You don't know he spit on the ground. He took clay. And he touches you. I want you to imagine what that got. If you can't imagine that, I think you probably can. Because remember when this whole pandemic started? Remember when we were all afraid <laughs> of each other? And I still, I'll, be, I'll admit, we kind of still are. Look, we're spaced out. And that's affected us. We want to hug. We want to touch. We, we, we want to do those things. If you can't get it there, go back to the 80s. You remember AIDS? You remember Magic Johnson? Nobody wants to play with him. Going to wipe up the floor of his spit and everything. And, and, and today, you go into restaurants and you sit and you are served by people who have AIDS and you don't even know it. You don't think twice about it. But it's there. It's just we've learned how to deal with it. It's treatable. Eventually, this pandemic will become something that we can set aside. But this blind man, he lived his life blind. He lived his life being told, not touched. Hey, go left, go left. Watch it, watch it, watch it. There's a rock there. Learn your way home every day so you can only travel one way and nobody has to help you and you will just do what you're supposed to do because you're blind. And here comes Jesus. He reaches down on the ground and he touches his eyes. 
They said to him, Jesus said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed, and here's the good news, he came back seeing. Now this is where the story should stop, but I added two more verses just because I think they had good color. And the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is. And others said, no, he's like him. But he kept saying, I'm the man. I want you to see the responses in this verse, the neighbors. It's implied because you're going to read, if you read the whole story, you'd see later that the Pharisees also had an opinion. You're also going to see that Jesus has something to say about this. And you're going to see that the blind man has something to say about this. You see, the neighbors said, it's him. It's not him. Is it him? We don't know. The Pharisees said, he did this on the Sabbath. <laughs> you don't do those kind of things on the Sabbath. He's a sinner, Jesus. Not, not him. Not only is the blind man a sinner, but Jesus is too. What he did goes against the law. But the blind man, he's just saying, hey, it's me. I used to lay there and I couldn't see and Now I can. And all I can tell you for sure is that this Jesus touched me. And when he touched me and sent me, I got my sight back. The question they're asking is, is this the same person? And friends, when, when you meet Jesus, when people meet Jesus, the question should always be, could this possibly be the same person? Because Jesus should so change us, should so make a difference in our lives, that people look and say, is that the same guy? Is that the same woman? Do you remember when, and I referenced this yesterday in Susan's memorial service, but I'm going to reference it here this morning. Do you remember when Mary comes to the empty tomb and she's outside the tomb crying because it's empty and Jesus shows up? She thought he was the gardener. Do you remember the disciples gathered in the upper room that night? I mean, there's Thomas. I'm not going to do anything unless I can touch him. Do you remember the, the, the two on the Emmaus Road? They walked the whole day with Jesus for miles. And finally, Jesus had to tell them who he was. Because, listen, the resurrection is a creative work. God created, recreated Jesus, brought him back to life to never die again. And that's what he was doing in the eyes of this blind man. And when it happens, people will have questions. Is this really who we thought it was? Just the same as they asked about Jesus post-resurrection. Is this really Jesus and friends? You ought to really be asking the question once we meet Jesus. Is that really him or her? But I've forgotten the original question. Do you remember the qu original question? How did this man become blind? Was it him? And was it his parents? And what I really want you to see is that their question was close to what the real question should be. But close doesn't even count in horseshoes. In that third verse, Jesus said, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God would be displayed in him. Jesus says the reason this happened was not so we could see that sin caused it. 
And it didn't happen so that God could have somebody to work on. But when it does happen, it gives God the opportunity to set things right, to give sight to the blind, to eradicate sin and death. And that really changes the question. It's not who sinned. The question is, how does God display himself in the tragic situations of life? It's in the touch of the master's hand. It's in the creative power of God that can take clay and dirt and soil and form humans and give sight and take nothing and do the same thing and take blood and give forgiveness told you I was going to read that first chapter of John T. It's not the whole thing. It's about eight verses. But just listen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him wasn't anything made that was made. In him was life. The life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which light gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own. His own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of men but born of God and church is there anything I want you to see in that passage of John 1 it's the 12th and 13th verses I'm going to read them again to you who did he give that light to who did he give that ability to to all who believed in his name he gave the right to be children of God it's a matter of faith not people that were born of blood or of flesh or the will of the flesh. Not people whose mom and dad decided that after three years of living in an apartment, they're going to buy a house and start a family. Not the result of someone who's gone and take fertility drugs because they couldn't have children and now they're going to try. Not because someone chose uh, to adopt a child that needed a home, which is a wonderful thing. But rather, to those who believe. It's not a human idea. It's a God idea. It's an act of faith. And it answers the question, how? How will God display himself in this tragic situation? It's actually in the resurrection story. It's actually in the life of Jesus, which is really, when you think about it, the most tragic story you ever could read or think of. The sinless, perfect, most holy person that ever lived is crucified and killed in a death that you and I truly can't really imagine because it was so horrific. And the question that must be asked is who sinned, right? That was their question. Who sinned? I mean, it's not the blindness of this man. It's the death of this, the Lord, the Son of God on the cross. And the question must be asked, who sinned? Let me give you the answer. You. Me. Us. 
It's interesting to me that on the first Easter morning, you know what the first question was? The first question on the first Easter morning was this. Who's going to roll the stone away? And the answer is, not us. We don't qualify to roll the stone away. We don't qualify to fix the situation. We don't qualify to do anything. Because the most obvious question is who sinned? And when you get to the real answer, it's me. And you can try to roll the stone away, which most of us do. You can try to give CPR, which most of us do. You can try to explain away that he's God. He's really not dead, which we do. But you will never be able to fix the real problem. The real problem is who sinned? You remember? Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus died on a cross. Who sinned? Us. Why? I'm not sure I know. But I do know this. God has chosen to use that terrible circumstance so that he can be glorified in it. Who sinned and why? So the works of God could be displayed in the very people that caused the death. Three days, God's going to raise Jesus from the dead, but he'll die no more. In three days, God, God is going to rub his clay on this broken body and make it whole. In three days, God's going to work his best work in the worst situation to the glory of himself because he alone is worthy of it. And that brings me to my bottom line, which I'm not going to tell you until I fill in a few blanks. Remember, the man's born blind. Remember, the question is, who sinned, him or his parents? Remember that Jesus said, well, it's really not who sinned, but in this tragic circumstance, the glory of God can be revealed, and he reveals it. So what's the bottom line? Don't ask yourself the why question until you've answered the who question. Let me explain that. This blind man's life was a riddle. Who sinned? His mom, his dad, his grandparents? Did he sin in the womb? Did, did, did he sin in some other place, in some preexistent state that we have not yet learned about, and that's what got him in this condition? You know, some religions teach that. It's a riddle. And friends, I want to tell you, most tragic situations in life are a riddle. Why would a five-year-old girl deal with cancer for two years to die? Why would a father of three find himself dead two days after he fell ill in his house? Why would uh, a father who was driving home from work down in Freeport, Ohio years ago, run his car, his truck, off the road into a tree and find himself dead, leaving behind a wife and kids? Why did my dad die with cancer when I was so young and I needed a father? Why, 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 why? Those are all the riddle questions. And you will never answer those questions until you deal with the who question. And it's not who sinned. 
It's not who did wrong. It's rather who can set this right. And we pray and we pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And yet we do so very little to allow that to take place. And the answer's sitting right in front of us. It's on a cross that's empty because the tomb is empty. Because God has set the world right and one day he will right all the riddles of this world. In the meanwhile, we are just waiting in those three days in between. But one day his resurrection power is going to be seen clearly. Clearly. And you know, all I wanted was a haircut. The next time a riddle presents itself to you, rather than trying to answer the riddle, think about trying to testify to the one that is able to set the riddle right. Think about talking about the one who is able to right the wrongs, the injustices, the problems of this world, and make what looks like chaos, what looks like dirt, something beautiful for his own glory and for his honor. Amen. We're going to sing.